I'm Bill Thompson, and this is Eye on Books. During her extensive travels around the U.S., actress and author Marlo Thomas kept meeting women who were stuck. Stuck in a dead-end job. Stuck with a suddenly empty nest and no plan for what to do next. Stuck in indecision over where their life should go. So a few years ago, Thomas launched a website for women to connect, share stories, and help each other reinvent. And she says the aim was to reassure all of them that it's never too late to get unstuck. And now she's collected the stories of dozens of women in a new book called It Ain't Over Till It's Over. Who is your book for? Well, um, it's for the women that I've met uh, across the country. You know, I travel a lot raising money for St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. And everywhere I go, I meet women who really feel that they're stuck. You know, they, they're for all kinds of reasons. I mean, the economy has laid a lot of people off, and so that's one reason to feel stuck, because what are you going to do next? Or there's the kind of woman that really had a terrific dream of raising a family, and now the daughter has a driver's license and the son's off to college, and she's out of a job pretty much. And she's 43 years old and looking around and saying, what happened? My dream ran out on me. You know, or there's a, a divorce, loss of a husband uh, through death, um, and loss of a job and all these things. And the other thing that there is also that I found interesting is that there are women who took jobs, just like men do, to make a living and to put food on the table or to supplement the family income. But that was then, and now she's wondering, can I go back and do the thing I really wanted to do? Is it, is it too late? And I think uh, what I found in most of the women, and which is why I called it Ain't Over Till It's Over, is that a lot of women felt that it's just too late. I didn't get to do it. And there's nothing worse than living with regret. you know. And so I thought, well, I have to prove to women everywhere that these women did do it. They did change their lives. But it's not just a collection of terrific women and, wow, isn't that great what they did. It really is a sort of a manual and a map for how you can do it, how you can change your life, how you can have the dream you want to have, and why not. I watched some of your webcast last night. Oh, yes. And I was struck by the fact that the two or three of the questions were coming from women in their 20s. And I yes. thought, my gosh, when I was in my 20s, I was just barely inventing myself, let alone reinventing myself. Were you, was there anything, is there anything to be discouraged about by women in their 20s thinking about reinvention? Discouraged? I think it's very encouraging. Well, because, you know, maybe they're at a fork in the road. Reinvention doesn't mean a complete overall. It, might, it may just mean, you know, I was wrong about what I started to do. You know, I think I really want to do this. I picked the wrong major. Yeah, exactly. Or the wrong guy. Or the wrong city. Or, uh, or my dad told me to do this kind of a job. A lot of the women that I met said that their parents said, no, don't go do that. That's too pie in the sky. You don't want to be an artist. Artists can't make money. You know, you don't want to be a writer. Writers can't make money. So, uh, so instead, they would take something else, become a graphic artist, you know, or or an insurance person, or something in which a bank work in the bank industry. They didn't know then that the banks were going to go to hell. But um, so, so there's something that looked more solid, and, and and there's wisdom in that. There just isn't life in it, you know. So people get the life sucked right out of them. But coming back to something you said a moment ago, a lot of women took jobs because they needed to make a living. A lot of them may have now, again, use your you so often stuck. They may even feel stuck that they have a dream. They have something. They know they could do it. Yes. But you've got to pay the electric bill. You've got to pay the mortgage. You've got to pay the car payment. Right. But you can also um, 
some of the women in the book did all kinds of interesting things. They left their apartments, gave up their apartments, moved in with a friend, slept on a couch, sold their clothes on eBay in order to make enough money to uh, rent a little space so that they could have a studio or whatever it is that they wanted to do. Or women that wanted to go back to school and learn a skill. One woman wanted to run a restaurant, but she couldn't do that without some culinary skills and without some management skills, so she decided to invest in her education. So um, there are a lot of ways to get what you want. You know, uh, uh, Many of the women in the book were down and out, I mean completely without any money. Um, and they... Um, they mortgaged their houses. They they uh, uh, borrowed on their retirement fund. None of these things am I saying you should all do all these things, but you will do one of them if you really want to get the dream that you want to have. And I think one thing I was going to say is I grew up in a time where people were always looking backward, you know, like, oh, my God, I'm 50 years old. 50 years have gone by. 40 years have gone by. But I think this new reinvention generation is saying, oh, my God, I've got 50 years more to go. I have 40 more years to go. It's forward thinking rather than backward thinking. That's a huge shift, I think. There's a wonderful serendipity to many of these stories. A woman who didn't realize she could paint until she painted a mural on her living room wall. A woman who finds out that somebody, that guy's about to throw out a whole boatload of mannequins. And she, it's almost like some of these women stumbled into what their dream was. Well, because they knew they didn't have one. You know, they were, they knew they were unhappy. They knew they were stuck in a dead end job or else they didn't have a job at all. They knew they were broke. They knew they couldn't pay their bills. They knew a lot of things. But for whatever reason, something came to them in that serendipitous way. You know, like the mannequins. A woman read about this guy unloading all these mannequins and she thought, if I owned all these mannequins, I bet I could have a business with mannequins. Is reinvention a different process for women than it is for men? Well, I think the the thing that men have an advantage about is they don't usually get out of the job market. So they build, they have a ladder of a career. You know, they build through the years. They may not get to the top of where they want to go. They may have a dream they never realized. There's all kinds of things that men go through as well. I don't think I don't think just women don't realize their dreams. I think a lot of men are living a regret that they didn't get to go after what they wanted because they had children and a wife and a mortgage and all kinds of things. But women have a particular different uh, uh, situation, and that is that they pull out of the job market maybe for 12, 13, 14 years. Very hard to get back in. And the society isn't that open to women who are over 40. I mean, one woman that I spoke to said she couldn't even get to be the reception at a beauty parlor. They wanted somebody in their 20s. So if you want somebody in your 20s and 30s as the receptionist in a beauty parlor or the hostess at the restaurant, you know, and those aren't even high-skilled jobs, then, you know, we're in trouble. And also in the tech world, you know, the tech companies want the 20-somethings because they're natives of tech, you know, and older people aren't. You know, I mean, my husband's nine-year-old grandson, you know, takes our printer and our computer apart and puts it back together while we just stand there trying to figure out, you know, how to print, you know. So, I mean, they are natives of this new land. And, and so, and people who are hiring know that, that if they hire a 25-year-old or even a 13-year-old, they're going to get better than a 40 or 50-year-old. I'm wondering if that fact keeps a lot of women who could otherwise be very successful from even taking the first step. I think so. I think you're right. I think the fear of the rejection and the fear of the failure holds a lot of people back. You have to really kind of get in touch with time. You know, you're here, you've got this amount of time. 
if you're 60, you have 30 years left, hopefully. You know, my grandmother lived to be 95. You know, you have a lot of years left. So you have to think of it in terms of, of what is it you how, how do you want to spend the rest of your life? And 30 years is a long time. You know, and if you're 50, it could be 40 years. If you're 45, it's, you know, and a lot of these women that I met were thinking, well, what, could, well, what can I do? How do I start? I was telling you how much I love my work and that one of the things, and I think it's very lucky to love what you do, make a living at it. And some of the women in the book, one woman lost her husband suddenly and she had three little kids and no way to make a living. She didn't know what she was going to do, how she was going to take care of herself. And she liked to make jewelry. And she made jewelry all the time for her friends, and they loved it. So one of her friends said, well, why don't you start selling the jewelry? It, she said, really, would anybody buy it? She says, well, we love it. We all wear them. They're great. So she started making jewelry and selling it in little boutiques around her town. And now she has a business of making jewelry, and it's something she loves to do. It's something she knows how to do. And what's also interesting about this day and age is you don't need a store. You can sell it online. So even the kind of money it took to own a store or rent a space in a store may not even be necessary for a while. You can you can make do online. And you can also make do in somebody else's store. And I think that's an important thing to understand, that if you make cupcakes or caramels and different things that the women in the book made to begin, they took them to their local bakeries, and then they sold their crackers and their cookies and so forth, just to start, you know, uh, somewhere. Once you've reinvented once, is the second one easier? If, if you get tired of cupcakes or jewelry and you want to become a, a skydiving instructor, is it easier the second time? I think so. I think because you know you can do it. You know, once you realize that you're one of your own resources, I think a lot of people forget that. You know, they think everything's coming from the outside. One of the things that I learned uh, from writing the book and meeting these people, actually, when I reread the book, after I put it down and turned it in, and now I was doing other things, and I was about to go out on a tour and talk about the book, I read it again just to get the feel of it, and I thought, here's what I'm learning, is that you can think big, but you have to work small. You can't just say, okay, I want to be the editor of the newspaper. I mean, you have to work all the way up. And, and some people get discouraged if they don't get what they want in the first year. And I have a friend in California who created something for mothers and grandmothers. I don't want to say what it is, but it's something to take care of children. And it's a wonderful idea. And she took it to uh, QVC, and they turned it down. And she was devastated. I said, QVC is the top of the mountain, for God's sake. How about starting at Gymboree or The Gap or someplace small, which isn't so small, or even a drugstore or even a friend store or wherever, and little by little, you know, you'll build an audience, you'll go online, you could go viral. All kinds of things can happen. But to, but to be discouraged that the top of the mountain doesn't want you, that, that's, that, that is just really enough to stop people. They think too big instead of starting small. You've also got stories in here of women who were affected by a tragedy of one kind or another. You mentioned a moment ago a woman who'd lost her husband, but you've got, you've got a woman who lost her brother in 9-11. Right. Uh, you've got things of people, divorce, illness, death, all around. And abusiveness. One woman was married to an, uh, an abusive husband who, who beat her up, and, uh, and she ran out, finally had the courage to run out. And, you know, what does a woman do when she... What does she take when she runs out of her house from a destructive marriage? Her kids, nothing else. Her kids and the, what they have on their backs. What I thought was fascinating 
is that she ran for cover and she went to a friend and she got away from him, which took a lot of courage. But another woman in the book had a friend who was murdered by her husband, and she uh, had a, began a clothing company. And um, she and her husband were starting this clothing company, and when her friend was murdered by her husband, uh, she then decided that she'd make some of the clothing company be for charitable clothing and take it to women who were in these domestic abusive centers to help them with their children to get some clothes on their backs. And also she encouraged them to come and work for her so that they could, because most women do learn to sew at some point in their lives, and so some of them came and helped her to uh, sewing things and uh, putting things together for themselves and for other women. So it empowered them in many ways. But I thought that was so exciting that a woman saw a need like that and said, okay, I can do something in my dress company which could help these women who, who run out with, with their clothes on their back. And another woman, two kids, went to the mailbox one day and found a letter from a woman with some photographs that her husband was cheating on her. And she just was devastated. And she said, I, I just knew then I, I could not live as a victim. I wouldn't do it. And so she left him and had to start all over. She was a mom of two kids. She was keeping house. She was you know, doing the running to the hockey games and the school picnics and all the things that moms do. And she had to start over and get a job and, and, um, and go back to school, get a skill. She had to start completely over. And she had to learn to trust again so that she could love again. I mean, so many things happen in a situation like that. Why shouldn't a woman listen if somebody tells her, you just got to face facts? Oh, you've read my book. It is my favorite saying. Ruth Gordon, who was a wonderful actress and a writer, uh, I read that she once said that, that never face the facts, you'll never get out of bed in the morning. And I really believe that to be true. Because why, you know, why should you be different than the other zillion people who can't get go forward? And, and the point is, is that if you don't face the facts, you will be the person that doesn't, you know, doesn't fall back. Because this is it. Don't face the facts. Make your own facts. All the polls, all the statistics for marriage and for everything we want in life, the statistics are against us. But that doesn't stop us from trying. I mean, you've been married twice. I've been married once. My husband was, I'm my husband's second wife. Uh, he tried again, and I'm awfully glad. But, I mean, you have to, you know, say, okay, then it will be different. I will do better. I always like to say something about St. Jude Children's Research Hospital and how it's my passion and I know that there are many children who've come from this area uh, to come to St. Jude, and they all come free of charge. And I have to raise $850 million a year, and it comes from the public, and, the, and I'm very grateful to your listeners who, who do uh, help us. It Ain't Over Till It's Over by Marlo Thomas is published by Atria. With Eye on Books, I'm Bill Thompson.